Timing is everything. Have you ever heard that phrase? Timing is everything. And one of the things I want to tell you is God's timing is perfect, even when it doesn't seem that way. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 5 today, so you can start turning in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. And I want to sort of build up where we're at and where we've been. In Joshua chapter 1, we were introduced uh, to Joshua. Yes, he had come up earlier. He had been introduced earlier as the leader of the army. But now we are in Joshua 1, introduced to Joshua as the leader of the people. But we're reminded that it's actually God who's leading the people. And it is all about God. Joshua's name means God is salvation. And that is the theme of the book of Joshua. So you might, I don't actually think you should do this, but you might, you know, rewrite, cross out the word Joshua and change it to God is salvation. Don't actually do that, but do it in your mind. That's what we're talking about in the book of Joshua. God is salvation. In Joshua chapter 2, we are introduced to Rahab. And again, we're reminded God is salvation. In Joshua chapter 3, the people cross the Jordan River. They enter the land of Canaan. Joshua chapter 4 is about memorials. And so at this point, if you're following the flow of the story, we're in enemy territory. You might think Joshua 5 is about the first battles in the land of Canaan. That would seem to be the right timing, right? We're in enemy territory. I would think the first thing we would do in enemy territory is establish a beachhead. But no, that's not what Joshua 5 is about. Because God's timing is different than our timing. What we need to do is we need to remember that God has put us in the front lines. He has sent us out. We are in the middle of God's work. But even as we're in the middle, on the front line, we have to remember we can never forget holiness. We can never afford to forget holiness. So after crossing the Jordan, God wanted his people. He wanted them to remember holiness by first identifying with him, by second, celebrating his works, and by third, showing whole reverence to him. My guess is that the Canaanites expected a battle. My guess is that Israel expected to go into battle. Everybody was waiting for the battle, but let's look at Joshua 5.1 and let's see what happened. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Everyone's hearts melts because Israel is here. The battle's going to begin, but not yet. It's not God's time. He has something far more important than a mere battle for Israel to do. And that's what we're going to pick up. So, we will start in our text with Joshua chapter 5, and we'll start with verses 2 through 9, and we will go from there. So let me start reading, and you can read along with me in your Bibles or on the screen, Joshua 5, starting in verse 2. It says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives, and circumcised the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath 
para la'a. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained there in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. All right, so what are we going to do with this passage? Here's what I want you to remember. God expects his people to identify with him. God expects his people to identify with him. There's a standard. The standard for Israel was that circumcision was expected. That was something that was expected of the people. If you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 17, 9 through 14, we will see God's standard in Genesis 17, verses 9 through 14. As God is talking to Abraham about the covenant, God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or brought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So all the way back in Genesis 17, God established circumcision as a sign of the covenant. Actually, God had made a covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 15. An everlasting covenant for Abraham's descendants. Here in Genesis 17, God is establishing the sign of the covenant. Here is how you are going to show that you are part of the covenant people. Here's how you're going to advertise the covenant. It is going to be something that is entirely personal to you. It's a decision that you you are part of. It is going to be something that is everlasting and that it goes from generation to generation without being too graphic. The fact that circumcision is a surgery done on a reproductive organ is symbolic of it going from generation to generation. That, That is important. It was something that God established with Abraham, and he set up the expectation. After eight days of birth, every male needs to be circumcised. When did somebody enter the covenant people? become part of the covenant people at birth? When was the symbol of the covenant completed? 
after eight days. So that's the standard. The situation that we see back in Joshua 5 is that they had not completed circumcision on any of the people wandering in the wilderness. So when they left Egypt, the people who left Egypt had been circumcised. The people who were born in the wilderness had not been circumcised. Remember, what's the standard? Everybody. What's the situation? Nobody, except for maybe Joshua and Caleb. That's a problem. The significance is that circumcision represented the covenant. They were still God's people, but it represented the covenant. And at this point, they are in staunch disobedience to what God has commanded. They have not done the thing that God has commanded. They have not properly represented the covenant that God has given them. So the solution, they circumcise everybody. I want you to understand just the completely bad timing from a worldly perspective, okay? Israel was on, originally on the east side of the Jordan River during flood stage. If you are a citizen of the land of Canaan, here is hopefully what you're thinking, or probably what you're thinking. Jordan's in flood stage. Nobody crosses the Jordan in flood stage. We've got 30 days to get ready while we're in flood stage. That's good. We've got some time to prepare for battle. Then all of a sudden, what happens? The Jordan parts, the people of Israel march over, and if you're in a Canaanite, what are you thinking? 30 days just became one day. We're in trouble. And if you're an Israelite, what are you thinking? Here we go. And then what does God do? He says, you're in enemy territory. Now it's time to put yourself at a disabled state after having a very painful surgery. All of your soldiers, all of your men are going to be unable to fight for several days. By the way, you're in enemy territory. Does that timing not seem awful? But God's standard is that he expects his people to identify with him, regardless of the timing, regardless of how comfortable it feels, regardless of whether we think it's the right time or not. Verse 9, I, I love verse 9 because I have spent a lot of time trying to think through what it even means, and I enjoy that sort of thing. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means the place of rolling. So, kind of interesting, the name there. But he rolled back the reproach. So I've been trying to figure out, well, what is the reproach of Egypt? And here's what I've come to is my conclusion. For 40 years, Israel struggled to obey God. If you read through, especially uh, Deuteronomy, you will notice that for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Israel struggles to obey God. They come out of Egypt and they just cannot obey God. And here, now they're in enemy territory, at the worst possible time, the worst possible time to obey God, they finally obey God. Right? Finally, they're willing to identify with God in a very real way. I think this is rolling away the reproach of Egypt. For 40 years, they've struggled with obedience. 
And here, they have a great success because they identify with God. We are used to identification because we do it all the time. Um, Check your shirt. Many of you probably have shirts that identify you with something. Or your shoes. You might have a bumper sticker on the back of your car. You probably like something on Facebook. These are all ways of identifying. We are used to identifying. In fact, we almost do it flippantly. We probably don't even think about some of the identifications that we make. Are we identifying with God? That's my action step. Ask yourself, am I identifying with God? Am I wearing his brand Am I putting on his jersey? Have I declared myself as being with God? The Bible actually tells us how to do this. It gives us very explicit directions on how we can identify with God. I'm going to cover two of them. The first way of identifying with God is through believer's baptism. This is a biblical mandate of how we can identify with God. I want to talk just for a little bit about believer's baptism. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to have a baptism service in July. So if this is something that you need to do, come talk to me sometime, because I'm hoping to do this in July again. Believer's baptism is the ordained means of identifying with God. It's actually kind of interesting. If you turn in your Bibles to Colossians 2, Colossians 2 makes an interesting connection that's a challenging connection. Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12 states, starting in verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. What the Apostle Paul is talking about, is at the moment of salvation, we become Christ's. We become part of the covenant community. We are baptized with him in his death. That's literally, we accept his death as full payment for our sins. So the process of joining the new covenant community is accepting the death of Jesus Christ on the cross as full payment for your sins, being baptized with him. And then we are made new, renewed. We are raised with him just as he was raised. We are made new to walk no longer in the flesh, to have freedom from sin. So that's the picture that Paul paints, and that is the picture of baptism. Baptism is the outward display of the inward change. For Israel, circumcision was the outward display. For Christians, baptism is the outward display. Now, I don't want to get too deep in the theology weeds here, but I do want to say we believe baptism should happen after conversion, after accepting Jesus as your Savior. Why? When did baptism occur for the Israelites? At eight days old. When did an Israelite join the community? At birth. So it made sense that the symbol occurs at eight days old shortly after birth. When do 
we join the community of faith. And the key word there is faith. When we accept Jesus as our Savior. So when should baptism occur? After you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. Baptism is God's ordained way of symbolizing that you identify with him. There is a way, though, for the whole church to identify with God. John 13.25 says that the world will know us by our love. The church can identify with God by its love for one another. That's the God-ordained way for the church to identify with him. So as individuals, we identify with God through baptism. As a church, we proclaim that we are with God because of our love for one another. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. I've got you hopping around a little bit today. But that's okay, I've got more time this, this time. That should be scary. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. The Apostle Paul is writing about all of the spiritual gifts that people had to display to show that they were legitimate. The spiritual gifts, the sign gifts, originally showed that the church was a legitimate entity of God. And then in verse 8, it says, Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Originally, in the book of Acts, one of the ways that the church identified itself was with prophecies that came true, was with tongues that they didn't know otherwise, languages that they didn't know otherwise, was with supernatural knowledge of things that was coming. But the Apostle Paul writes, there's coming a time when these things pass away. And what is it that is left for the church to use to show that it is the work of God? Love. So we have two things that we can use to identify with God. Baptism for us as individuals and love for one another as a church. Are you identifying with God? That's the question. Do you need to be baptized? The answer might be yes. I'd love to talk to you about that. Do we as a church love one another? It doesn't mean that we embrace sin. It does mean that we love each other, that we love those whom we come in contact with. I believe we're doing well at this. Let's grow, though, to love more and more. Okay, so that's the first point. Let's move on to verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12. Joshua 5, back in Joshua 5, verses 10 through 12. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of the Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. What I want you to capture out of these verses is that God expects his people to celebrate the past while looking forward to the future. Passover was an amazing event. 
There was a standard that celebrating Passover was an expectation God had established for his people. In Leviticus 23, God commanded year after year, you are to celebrate the Passover. The Passover memorialized God's deliverance. So let me back up for just a second. The situation is that it was time to celebrate the Passover, and we'll talk about that in just a second. So the situation is it was time to celebrate the Passover, and the significance was that Passover memorialized God's deliverance. So back up 40 years. Israel is enslaved in Egypt. Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And time after time after time, Pharaoh says, no. God finally tells Moses, tell Pharaoh, that if you do not let my people go, I will strike down the firstborn in every house. That is the event of the Passover. In preparation for this event, God told the people to take a lamb on the 10th day of the month, bring it into your home, literally live with the lamb, get all the leaven out of your house. On the 14th day of the month, get your staff in your bag because you're ready to go. Put blood on the doorframe, here, here, and here. Interestingly, kind of the shape of a cross. And when I see the blood, I will pass over that house. It will not be struck. Interesting. When I see the blood, I will pass over that. There's an interesting foretaste of Christ. When he sees the blood of Christ, he passes over our sins. When I see the blood, I will pass over. God did it in Egypt. Immediately following, Pharaoh not just lets the people go, but literally kicks them out, literally pays them off to leave. And the people are delivered from slavery in Egypt. God says, memorialize this event. Celebrate. This is something significant that I have done for you. Celebrate this event. Year after year, on the 10th day of the month, you will bring in a lamb to your house. On the 14th day of the month, you will kill that lamb. Year after year after year, celebrate the Passover. Remember what I've done. The solution, if you look at the time, when did Israel cross over on the 10th day of the month? It was time to celebrate Passover. And so the solution is that Passover was celebrated. Passover, delivered from Egypt 40 years earlier, finally brought into the land. But I want you to check the results. Look at the results of the celebration of Passover. God's new provision. Look what happens. We read that the day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. The land that flows with milk and honey, finally they've arrived and they're able to eat of the produce of the land. And what happens? The manna stops. God's provision of food stops. Why? Because the manna was for a time in the past. The people are now in a new time in the future. 
And it's time to celebrate the past while looking to the future. People could have complained and said, but the manna was so amazing. Can't we just continue to have manna forever? And God's answer is no. God has something new. The produce of the land. They didn't complain. In fact, they celebrate God's provision. So here is my action step for you. Ask yourself, am I celebrating God's past works while moving forward to God's future works? We have to be incredibly careful because it is very easy to live in the past. And God has done amazing things in the past. But just because God did one thing in the past does not mean that that is the only thing we can ever do. God has a future for us. He had a future for the people of Israel. And it was wonderful. Emily and I got married fairly young, actually quite young. And so we had this little tiny house with an unfinished basement. And so growing up, because we literally grew up together since we were married so young, one of the things that I really enjoyed is we would have Friday night video game nights with friends and my brothers. And I was, am, a nerd, and so I built an elaborate computer network in the basement. I mean, it was a a complicated network. And what we did is we went around and we found people who had computers that had broken for one reason or another in the church, and we took all the computers, we tore them apart, rebuilt them, and built a bunch of working computers in this elaborate network, and we bought Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds, and we bought like eight copies of this game, installed it in all the computers. This was like every Friday. Emily would make a pile of burritos, and we would play Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds, late into the night, every Friday. It was a lot of fun. Well, 15 years later, we were, my brothers and I, and some of our friends were all together at Christmas, and we had this brilliant idea. Let's have a video game night. So, we got everything set up. I actually think we even dug out some of the old laptops out of the basement of my mom's house. And we lasted like maybe an hour. And then we started talking about family and doing other things. And it was this really almost like depressing moment when we were trying to relive this excitement of childhood. It was in the past. We had new things in our life, things that God has brought into our life. The memories were great. But what God has brought for us now is just as good, if not better. What does God have for us? as we move forward in God's work. Let's move on to verses 13 through 15. So, starting in verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. 
What I want us to see in this passage is that God expects his people to revere him. God expects his people to have holy reverence for him. God's standard is that we recognize his sovereignty. Recognizing God's sovereignty is expected. It's interesting to me where this passage falls because what does this have to do with what just came earlier? We had circumcision, identification with God. We had Passover, celebration of God. And now we've got this weird sort of person randomly showing up. No, this is all connected. Identification is actually part of holiness. Celebration is part of holiness. God's presence is part of holiness. So, the situation, I think, there's lots of debates about this, but I think this is no one short of the pre-incarnate Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ is on site. Look at, look at what's going on. Joshua, it seems, goes near Jericho. I suspect he's trying to just get a lay of the land. And he comes across a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. Joshua's immediate response, okay, you're in enemy territory. You are close to Jericho. His immediate response to this man is, um, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Who are you? And what are you doing here? Are you Israelite or are you Canaanite? This is a little bit scary. And the man's response is amazing. Neither. I represent God. I am for God. He says that he's the commander of the army of the Lord. This is where things get a little bit complicated. The term commander is the highest ranking military official throughout the Old Testament. So this is the you know, Secretary of Defense, the highest-ranking military official. So here's my argument to you. We know theologically that all three members of the Trinity are equal. We also know theologically that the Son submits to the Father. I think it makes sense that Jesus, pre-incarnate, coming in the flesh, he makes a couple of appearances in the Old Testament, I think it makes sense that he would say he is commander of the Lord's army. He is the highest ranking official underneath the Father because he has submitted himself to the Father. So that's, that's my first reason why I think it is Jesus. The next thing that happens is Joshua bows down before him and calls him Adonai. He doesn't quite know what to think of this, so he calls him Adonai, which would mean master or lord. But then what happens next is interesting. Joshua asks, what do you have for us? What's the message? And the response is, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. This response had been given one other time previously to Moses, when he encountered none other than God at the burning bush. I believe that this is the arrival the presentation of God presenting himself before Joshua, saying, I'm here. I'm on site. I want you to notice Joshua's response. Complete humility. Recognition of God's authority. Recognition of human inferiority. 
by bowing himself down and calling himself a servant. God demands holy submission. And Joshua submitted to God. So, my action step. Ask yourself, do I revere God knowing that he's on site? God is here today in this building, in our lives. The Holy Spirit, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you. God is present with you. Do you revere, do you recognize that where God is, he sanctifies that place? The place was holy, not because it was some special place. It was holy because God was there. So look at the steps Israel took. They identified with God. They celebrated God. And they revered God's presence. None of these steps involves going to battle. Why? Because we can never forget God. And even if the timing seems wrong, we stop to remember and to revere who God is. And that prepares the way for Joshua chapter 6, which will be the, I think, greatest victory that could have happened. We'll cover that next week. But remember, it's all about setting ourselves up to remember God's holiness by revering God no matter the timing, that's God's expectation of us. Let's look at our scripture memory verse. We've been working on this verse throughout the month of June. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. Let's say it all together. Joshua 1, 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Joshua 1, 7. May we revere God, not turn to the right or the left, and enjoy his successes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are holy, that you call us to holiness, and that the holiness to which you call us is not merely a self-righteousness, but rather identifying ourselves with you. That the holiness you call us to involves celebrating you. It involves revering you as God. And so I pray that we would not forget holiness. As we step out as a church seeking to see your kingdom grow. To see people brought to a saving knowledge of Christ. I pray that we would look internally and we would ask the questions, are we identifying with you? Are we celebrating you looking to the future? Are we revering you knowing that you dwell within each of us? Help us to be honest with ourselves and to take the steps we need to take in order to treat your holiness with the highest respect. In Jesus' name, amen.